I have the distinguished honor and challenge of batting cleanup in this semester's seminary chapel. After so many wonderful words from others in this space, I consider it a great honor to try to drive a few of those good words home. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Almighty God, you have called us to past yet untrodden, to ends always unknown. As we attend to the call upon our lives in this space, we simply ask that you would call us again. Call us, Lord. Uh, we wait and listen. Give us the good grace to hear your word and follow your ways. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Called. I learned what it was like to be called growing up in a small town in South Central Texas. Uh, it was uh, a small town that was uh, rural enough where we could roam without getting into too much trouble, uh, but close enough to the city where we were never too far from home. As a result, we would run, play in the woods, we would go play in a creek, we would go down the hill to play with some friends. But we always knew that we could be called home. And then every day, without fail, when we were out playing in the woods, the creek, down the hill, my mother would do that thing that only mothers seemed to be able to do. She would come out, take two fingers, put them in her mouth, and whistle. You know it if you've heard it. It's a type of whistle that feels like it can ring across a thousand hills. I'm convinced the whole neighborhood could hear it, could feel it, could sense us. And I learned in this space what it means to be called. It's to be invited home. To be drawn to a space of belonging and care. To know that what one can do is respond and come. If we're looking, friends, for a single word for Advent this year, I'd like to suggest that it is this, called. God's call goes forth over all creation, and we are called by God. This is the good news of the gospel that draws us forth in a way that only demands a response. It is also the good news that draws us into this space together, a space of holy learning and loving and life together, where we are drawn together by God's call. Even if it isn't always clear, we are called. It is this simply, simple yet infinitely complex word that touches our lives, our communities, our institutions in so many seen and unseen ways. I also remember various times when I sensed God's call on my life, uh, the call to follow Jesus, the call to discipleship, calls to friendship, calls to wait on God's timing, calls to parenting, Calls to pursue theology and education in a less conventional mode. Calls to trust and ordinary obedience. And for those of us gathered in this room, students, faculty, staff, we gather because of some sense of call or possibly because we are in search of a call. Called. Each of us is called by God. You see, this is the great story of the gospel message that we read in Luke today. God's gracious call comes to Mary as a surprise. The Lord is with you, Gabriel says. 
you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. God's call goes out into the world, and while the people of Israel lived under a pagan king, under Herod, under empire, God's call goes out yet again. After generations of waiting and silence, after generations of longing and telling the story, God's call goes out. In the fullness of time, God's call goes out and turns the world upside down. And then the text takes an unexpected turn in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled. When God calls, you see, it oftentimes invokes and causes some form of crisis. The word here is diatrasso, which is a word that occurs only once in the New Testament, and others translate it as greatly troubled, perplexed, or thoroughly shaken. This particular word, you see, captures the profound disorientation and disruption that surrounds and follows God's call. And for us today, I want to suggest that we might read this term as crisis. Crisis, you see, is an experience that brings us up short. We feel it in our bones long before we can ever express it or fully understand it. It is this ache, this anxiousness, this anxiety that slowly builds. It's this unspoken sense that we are already stretched too thin and may not be able to bend any further. We are weary and heavy laden. We need rest, as the Gospels say, but we do not know where to find it. Crisis is never far from calling. You see, the crisis that surrounds Luke Acts is a world that is turned upside down. God's call always introduces a crisis as we determine how to respond to God's call in faith. So too, even though God's call goes out into the world, we often receive it in a space of crisis. For other, God's call introduces a crisis in our lives. For many of us, we know the crisis and the reality of this far too well. The crisis of a medical diagnosis, the crisis of loneliness, the crisis of sickness, the crisis of church closures, the crisis of unemployment, the crisis of grief, the crisis of childlessness, the crisis of loneliness, the crisis of uncertainty, the crisis of failure, the crisis of mental health, and for some of us, possibly even the crisis at the end of a long semester. Even saying it in this place brings the gravity of it. Lord, have mercy. We know what it means to sit with empty chairs and empty tables. We know the reality of crisis. And friends, just as clearly as I can recall God's call on my life, I know the free fall of crisis far too well. I know that restlessness that comes when crisis upends our lives in unexpected ways. I know the ways one's life can be turned upside down in a single moment. I know the ways that our memories and bodies can be marked by things that we never saw coming nor never desired. In so many ways, our seen and unseen crisis touches our lives our communities, our institutions, and leaves us feeling undone. Crisis. We cannot shake it, we cannot escape it, we cannot ignore it. We can only walk through it. When crisis brings us up short, it brings us to our knees.
Crisis and calling. These two words are realities that we see in the text today. And I want to suggest that we cannot understand the Advent message if we fail to consider the reality and complexity of these words. And for this particular moment and in this particular place, as we carried the memories of a number of cascading crises and tried to determine together how to be a learning community that calls people forth, I want to consider the ways crisis and calling intersects with our lives and can call us forward. The reality of crisis oftentimes leaves us with more questions than it does answers. For example, when the calling is formed in the belly of crisis, how do we respond to God's call on our lives? When God's call comes in proximity to various crises that mark us, how do we respond? What carries us forward? And when we can no longer sense God's call because the crisis is too great, where do we turn? Are you with me? All right. Well, for the last 10 years, I've been thinking about and working on questions about crisis, precarity, and uncertainty. Uh, For the last five years, I've been working on a project about how communities of faith adapt to uncertainty. And for the last two years, I've been thinking with various communities about this complexity of crisis. And in light of that, in light of our text today, I want to offer five different forms of crises that confront us. Uh, And like any good preacher who's worth keeping around, I'll give you five Fs to hold on to, okay? Uh, And then I'll give us two practices that I think can guide us forward in the wake of crisis. So the first, crisis as a flood. Uh, This is the type of crisis that comes upon us unexpectedly and sweeps us off your feet. If you spend any time in South Central Texas, you'll know what this looks like because you've seen what happens when the waters fall down. You've seen what happens when these dry creeks start to fill up with water, when the rivers start to flow and the water starts to rise. That which was once intended to nourish now becomes too much to bear. The water becomes a deluge and begins to bring a destructive force on the landscape, sweeping across uh, land, tile, tractors, uh, houses, families, and farms, taking everything up in its wake and carrying it off to a direction that's not known. In extreme cases, this deluge becomes a space of desolation as flooding water takes away everything in its way. And when taken up by the crisis of a flood, you cannot swim, you cannot stand, you can only be taken up and carried to a direction that's unknown. You can only hope that God will carry you forward. And for some of us, crisis comes like a flood. It's like water spilling forth through a bleached dram in which the collective traumas of crisis wash over us with unrelenting force. And just as floods don't touch everyone equally, the crisis of a flood doesn't impact everyone in the same way. Some are left untouched, others have their lives swept away. And in each case, as the waters of crisis reside and we pick up the pieces of our flooded lives, we begin to assess what has been lost, what we can rebuild, what we can carry with us. In many cases, the crisis of a flood comes suddenly, but it also can come in ways that we should have anticipated. For the work of ministry, this can come when we've tried to build a ministry and grow it too quickly, but we find ourselves knocked off our feet when we've said yes to too many things. 
For some of us, it can come when we erode the margins of our lives in ways that do not care for ourselves, do not care for our families, do not care for those closest to us. And suddenly, when the next thing comes, we find that our lives are flooded. And so as Mary stood before the angel, troubled and perplexed, I wonder if she felt like Noah before the crisis of the flood. The call of God had come upon her life, telling of a deluge that would cause desolation, and their only hope was to be carried forward, to be carried up by the mercy and memory of God. The call for Mary would introduce some form of flood. I imagine she found herself knocked off her feet, unsure what would come next or where she would turn, but only confident that her only hope was in the one who called. Sometimes crisis also comes like a famine. While the crisis of a flood can come suddenly, the crisis of a famine can slowly build. It comes when we sense the fragility that surrounds us. We carry unherited burdens from those who have come before us. We know the arid places of our lives and communities that leave us feeling cracked, parched, hungry, weary, and dreading what comes next. And as this former crisis deepens, these isolated spaces of weariness and vulnerability slowly spread and gradually consume the remaining reserves and resources. You see, if the crisis of flood comes unexpectedly and picks us up to an end that we don't know, the crisis of famine leaves us stranded right where we are. Stuck, weary, tired, parched, angry, unsure of where help or healing will come. This is also the story of the people of God in Egypt. God had called them, delivered them from famine, and then there was only silence and slavery. Instead, they were enslaved, forced to work in a land for a foreign ruler, forced to raise their children in a land that was not their own, forced to live apart from the promise. And friends, although many of us may live far removed from the reality of actual famine in our lives and in communities, this form of crisis, I think, is not too far from us. This is the crisis of racial injustice that we face in our country, in which structures of oppression diminish the humanity of beloved children of God. This is also the ecological crisis we face, in which we are slowly eating away at our collective reserves to sustain life for a global community. This is also the crisis of addiction, in which addiction slowly mangle and erode our lives and communities in so many seen and unseen ways. In each case, these crises deprive us of the trust, the resources, and the reserve to express and pursue God's call as a beloved community. So as Mary stood before the angel, perplexed in trouble, I wonder if she recalled the famine of the people of Israel. God had called her, but the call came during another time of ruler of a foreign king, Herod, as we learn in verse 5. And even though the angel brought good news, the call of God had brought her into a space of isolation when she thought she was moving into a space of belonging. She was to carry a child in her womb, the very hope of the world. But responding to this call would reveal and expose the cracked and arid spaces of her life. 
Crisis can come as a flood. Crisis can come as a famine. It can also come as a fire. Sometimes crisis comes as a fire consuming everything in its path. If the crisis of a flood comes unexpectedly and the crisis of a famine comes from scarcity, the crisis of a fire comes from compounding conditions that consume our lives when there's a sudden and unexpectable combustion. This type of crisis you see is unique because it comes truly as a surprise. Although the crisis of a flood is severe, we can know that it's coming when the rain starts falling and it won't stop. And although the crisis of a famine is acute, we know that it's coming when it only becomes more dire and arid after a time of scarcity. The crisis of fire, however, truly comes unbidden and unexpectedly. We cannot know when the crisis of fire will come. We can only try to prevent it from spreading once the fire starts. And much like the fires that consume so much of the natural wilderness, this form of crisis, once started, may only spread. I've had the privilege over the years to talk to a number of leaders who are responding to crisis and uncertainty in various ways. Uh, and I'm reminded of one particular conversation I had with a pastor in Cairo, Egypt, who was serving in Cairo during the time of the Egyptian revolution. Uh, and many of you will know that this is a period of time of pronounced social and political uprest and upheaval. Uh, it was a time when the systems and the ecosystem in that community were fractured and fragile. It was a time when a sudden spark a sudden activity launched a revolution that spread. That spread from Egypt to the surrounding regions and became what we now know as the Arab Spring. And when I talked to this particular pastor, Paul Gordon Chandler, two things were so clear to me. First, that this form of crisis as a fire comes when the existing structures and systems are cracked and fragile and fragmented. Trust had been eroded in the community and the political structures. There was isolation and polarization in the community. And then secondly, you needed a spark. And suddenly, after years of oppression, the Egyptian people said, we will tolerate this no more. And in a single instant, a spark was lit. Crisis started and revolution took place. For each of us in our communities, an eco ecosystem must be dry and weary or misused or be at a lack of resources, but then it only needs a spark. Sometimes the spark is a comment. Sometimes this spark is violence. Sometimes it is thoughtlessness. But in each case, this form of crisis can undo the beautiful work of a community that took years to build. And in its most severe cases, the crisis that comes as a fire can level a generation. We cannot rebuild. We can only wait for God to restore our communities. For many of us in this moment, as we uh, stand on the wake of multiple cascading crises, this might describe the state of our communities. We are weary, parched, and stretched thin. That which we could once navigate with some ease and graciousness suddenly grows in magnitude. And then all of a sudden, when fanned into a flame by a comment or possibly by our own anxiety or lack of reserves, a simple spark, an action, can quickly grow, spreading to consume the work of a generation. 
So as Mary stood before the angel perplexed, I wonder if she recalled the consuming fire of God that had marked the people of Israel for a generation. The voice of God in the brush, the pillar of fire that led her people out of Egypt, the coal that touched Isaiah's lips. This is the form of fire that leaves everything in its wake changed. You cannot pass through the fire of crisis without being changed. So too for Mary, the call of God on her life consumed everything she had known and done up to that moment. There was no way to wait out the crisis of fire or to hope to recover on the other side. Her only hope was the possibility of holy transformation. Friends, when crisis comes as a flood, it sweeps us off our feet. When crisis comes as a famine, it leaves us feeling barren and parched. And when crisis comes as a fire, it scorches our lives and our communities. And in some cases, the call of God on our lives leads us into this crisis. In other cases, it is only in crisis that we're able to receive and sense God's call in our lives. Are you flooded with crisis? Are you facing the crisis of famine Is your life scorched by a crisis of fire? I don't know where you are, but this Advent message shares a word of hope. The call of God goes out into the world, even in the midst of crisis. And the story of of today tells us of this reality. Particularly in moments of grave crisis, God is near. The God of Israel is a God who knows crisis so well. It is a God who makes covenants with Abraham by walking through the mangled pieces of creation. It is a God who calls people through the waters of Egypt. It is a God who provides manna to address the threat of famine. And it is a God who delivers Daniel through and out of the fires that threaten to consume. It is a story of a God whose call continues to go out into the world, calling to Mary and calling to each of us today. If you find yourself besieged by crisis, Mary's witness suggests that God's call is enough. It is a call to life. It is a call to hope. It is a call that God will not leave us nor forsake us. It is a call to come home. Precisely in the space of humanity's grave crisis, God's call springs forth. It is a call that will not leave us as we are, a call that invites us into a new home is a call that makes a new humanity. And although the story today reminds us that we serve a God who calls, we must also remember that we cannot call ourselves. When we are besieged by crisis, we long for God's call to break forth, to calm the flood, to ease the famine, to squelch the fire. But oftentimes, all we can do is wait. The German pastor theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew something about crisis and calling. Uh, Writing on December 12, 1928, he wrote in an Advent sermon, celebrating Advent means learning to wait. Several years later on another Advent, a very different Advent, now writing from his own prison cell and facing an impending and growing crisis, he reflected on Advent once again. A prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible thing, the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. 
When we live in crisis, it often feels like this cell. The door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. And when we find ourselves in crisis, sometimes all we can do is recall God's story on our lives and wait for God to call us again. This is the good news. This is the hope. We can hope, but ultimately we need God to remake our fractured lives. We need God to call us home. Friends, sometimes crisis comes from things beyond us, like a flood, like a famine, like a fire. But sometimes crisis comes much closer to home, from those nearest and dearest to us, and possibly sometimes from within ourselves. So as we turn to the final section of our text today, I want to talk about two other forms of crisis. The crisis of family and the crisis when the calling is faint. Sometimes family is actually the crisis we face. You see, these spaces that are created for spaces of connection and belonging do not always hear the call of God on our lives. These holy communions and communities can become sites for confusion, question, and uncertainty. Families and communities of faith, despite their best intentions, can sometimes obscure God's call instead of calling us forth into the work of ministry and healing. God's call indeed can come in and through our human communities, but sometimes these very communities can fracture amid the weight of God's call on our lives. What do we do when those nearest and dearest to us do not affirm God's call, do not see God's call? How do we respond to God's call on our life then? Friends, this was the story of Jorina Lee, a lay woman in the AME tradition, who heard God's call to preach in 1807, but her community did not hear and did not initially respond. She was convinced that God called her nonetheless, as she shared. To my utter surprise, there seemed to be a sound of a voice, which I thought I distinctly heard and most certainly understood, which said to me, go preach the gospel. I immediately replied and wrote, no, no one will believe me. Again, I listened, and again, the same voice seemed to re-say. Preach the gospel. I will put words in your mouth, and I will turn your enemies to become your friends. Mercy, those are good words. And even though God's call was upon Jerina Lee, her community and even her pastor did not immediately believe her and respond. So she started to doubt. But then she recalled the story of God and God's call upon Mary. She said, did not Mary first preach the risen Savior? Then did not Mary, a woman, preach the gospel, she wondered? And then driven forth by the certainty of her call, she continued to preach, and her community ultimately responded to her call. For Jorinda Lee, God's call had gone forth, but the family of God became the site of crisis for her calling. When crisis comes in the form of family, in the form of those nearest and dearest to us, it can cause us to question God's call on our lives. But there's one other form of call. You see, despite the Advent message that God's call is going out into the world, much like Mary Bonhoeffer and Jerry Lee, sometimes the real crisis, the grave crisis, is actually the clarity of the call. What do we do when the absence of God's call is actually the crisis we feel? What about when we can't hear the whistling that's calling us home? What about 
when we can't find spaces of belonging? What about when we can no longer sense God's call on our lives or possibly even wonder if God has called us at all? And this is the fifth form of crisis, when the call is faint. You see, we do not always have Mary's unshakable encounter with Gabriel. We lack the assurance of Bonhoeffer who persisted in his confidence of God's call to faithfulness and discipleship. And we are not like, not like Jerina Lee who persisted in her call to preach even in the face of incredible resistance and opposition. You see, severe crisis can come in the form of a flood or a famine or a fire or even family. But this fifth form, when the call is faint, may be the most severe of all. Oddly enough, this reality does not seem to appear in the text. God's call comes early and repeatedly throughout Luke Acts. God first calls Zechariah and then Elizabeth and then Mary and then Joseph and then the disciples and then John. Uh, and then God ultimately calls the wise men, the shepherds, and then finally an unexpected community that is gathered around the call of Jesus as the church. It is as if God's call is breaking forth and cannot be contained. It is bursting forth in the text, bubbling forth in creation. The Lord is coming. The Lord is here. Be glad, rejoice. But what about when God's call doesn't come? Even when we pray, even when we wait. What about when we sit in the belly of crisis, longing for a way out, but are unsure if we will ever see a new day? What about when God's call doesn't ring out, even when we so desperately want and need to be called by God? What about when we come to seminary, where everyone talks with such certainty and clarity about that call, but we can't marshal that certainty and clarity ourselves? What about when we wonder if God has called us or will call again? Friends, if the call of God is faint for you, I don't want make, to make light of this crisis, and I can't offer a prescriptive solution. But with Mary, I want to offer a hopeful invitation. Even when the call of God is faint, or even when family is the source of our crisis, Mary invites us to create and sing a more beautiful song. When confronted by the crisis of family, by the crisis of those closest to us, Mary's song tells the story of God's relentless call upon the world. It is a witness, but it is also a creative protest that, to the crisis that threatens to silence the call on her life and the God of life she carries. Verse 48, when he, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. It is a call that cannot be silenced and a God who cannot be contained. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It is a story of God's great mercy that is bursting forth in the world. Verse 52, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. It is a story of a God who goes out into the world turning the world upside down. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It is a story of a God who enters the gravity of crisis and continues to call us in our lives. If you find yourself in crisis today, 
Mary invites us to sing a more beautiful song. When family is the site of crisis, we're invited to craft something that bears witness to God's ongoing call in our lives and in our communities. And when the crisis is that the call actually is faint, this same creative work is itself a way of waiting on God. It is a form of holy attention, holding space for the Spirit, saying with Mary, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And while we wait, creating and crafting what only we can offer into the world, we can receive the good news of Advent once again. God's call goes out into the whole world, meeting us precisely in the space of our great crisis. And while we wait in this ordinary time, we can sing a more beautiful song. Crisis could come as a flood or as a famine or as a fire. Crisis can come in the form of those closest to us like a family and crisis can come when the call is faint. And whatever crisis you face and carry today, whether it's seen or unseen, may you receive the call of God on your life to wait for God's call yet again. And may we, as people who are called together by God, work to create together and sing a more beautiful song. Amen.